All right, appreciate that. If you would take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Hebrews 1. God, who at sundry times and divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. You know, the key word in the book of Hebrews is better. Found there in verse 4, it's used quite often in the book of, you'll see. It means more excellent, so much better. In other words, vastly better or greater. So the title of the message this morning is, The Great Revealing of the Salvation of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your word. And thank you that we have it preserved for us in our own language that we can study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, right to the right word of truth. Thank you, Father, that we can, through it, come to an understanding of salvation, eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Lord, we do pray to be any in our midst this morning who do not have that assurance of eternal life. That the Spirit of God would arrest their attention, arrest their heart and their mind, that might receive the truth, and Father, that they would see their need to be born again, saved from the penalty of sin. Father, for your people, I pray that we'd be encouraged and strengthened in our walk with you, help we come to a full assurance of faith and understanding of the position we have in Christ, our great high priest. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What we have here in this first chapter is, of course, the great revealing of the salvation of God. The book of Hebrews was written to Jewish, to Hebrews, Jewish believers that were, uh, I believe it was written to the church at Jerusalem, basically, that were in danger of lapsing back or going back into Judaism because of the persecution and the things that were happening in, in Jerusalem and the hardships there, and uh, so on. You know, even in Paul's day, Paul writes uh, about the Judaizers, as we call them, those people that kind of followed him around and kept telling people, well, yeah, you need to be saved through Christ, but you also need to keep the law, and you need to do this and that, you know, the law of Moses, and, and so on and so forth. And, and they were corrupting the truth of the Word of God. And so the book of Hebrews is written to challenge these believers that, They need to forsake the temple worship. They need to leave it behind. It's of the Old Economy. It's of the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. We have the fulfillment of the Old. The Old is types and shadows and figures. We have the actual uh, uh, person, the actual uh, Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who fulfilled all those shadows and types. He is so much better than those. We have something that's so much better. And so it reveals 
this great salvation of God to us uh, in the book of Hebrews here. And why don't you notice several things this morning as we think about the revealing of the salvation of God. First of all, the, the revelation in the Old Testament, he talks about that in verse 1. God, who at sundry times and divers manners spake in, in time past, that is in the Old Testament, unto the fathers by the prophets. Now, sundry times and divers manners, it kind of, there's similar definitions there. It means by many portions, at many times, and in many ways. You know, in the Old Testament, God spoke by by portions and, and through different means. Uh, one, one commentator said this, quote, The revelation given to the prophets is brought in various ways, sometimes through par- parables, historical narrative, prophetic confrontations, dramatic presentations. You know, there were some dramatic presentations. Ezekiel was told to, to, uh, to, to, uh, to not marry. He was told to, to uh, uh, cook with dung. Well, that was to illustrate a truth. And, and, and you know, there was, there was these dramatic things that happened. There was psalms, proverbs, and the like, unquote. Sometimes it was an angel of the Lord or a pre-incarnation appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and that's an appearance you know, of Jesus before He became a man and dwelt among us. You know, in Genesis 18.1, the Bible says, The Lord appeared. And the word Lord there is all caps. means Jehovah. That's Jesus of the Old Testament. The Lord appeared unto Abraham in the plains of Mamre. In, in Joshua, Joshua 5.14, He appears as the captain of the Lord's host. And the Lord said unto Joshua, in Judges 6, he's called the angel of the Lord. He appears to Gideon. And so again, the Old Testament was given over a period of 1,600 years, though it covers about 4,000 years of time. You know, Moses penned the first five books of the Bible, which cover creation, the fall of man, into sin, the flood, the dispersing or the scattering of the nations, to the calling out of Abraham, out of Ur of the Chaldees, to Israel going into bondage in Egypt, and, 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 and then their exodus, bringing them to the promised land. You have the historical books, Joshua through Esther, the poetic books, Job through Song of Solomon, the prophets, Isaiah through Malachi. You know, about 32 different Old Testament writers. And they wrote over a period of about 1,600 years. And so you had a lot of different manners and ways and writers. You know, there's only about eight in the New Testament. And within one century, we had the entire New Testament. Within 100 years. The last book was written around AD 96, the book of Revelation, which concludes the New Testament. So this was the, you know, so in God, he says, in sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past. You know, what you got was pictures and bits and pieces of the Messiah would come. You know, the lamb that was to be slain, the Passover lamb, of course, pictures the Lord Jesus Christ, that perfect lamb of God. You have bits and pieces where, you know, things about the Lord, that He be born of a virgin, that He be born in Bethlehem, that He be of the lineage of David, the house of David, and, and so on. Pictures and, and different things scattered throughout the Old Testament. But when you come to the New Testament, you have a, the, the revelation of Christ is complete. It's completed. 
If you notice in verse 2, it says that he hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. You know, the revelation in the New Testament in Christ, it says he hath spoken. It speaks of a completed action. The Old Testament was not complete without the New. It isn't complete. But when it says hath spoken, it speaks of a completed action. The word spoken means to make known by speaking. And again, within a century, you have a complete revelation of God. And, and you know, throughout the New Testament, we have uh, de- defined or declared for us the person of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 1, for example, in verses 20 to 23, speaking of Joseph, says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So here he's identified, the, person, the Savior is identified who he would be. Now all this was done that would might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord of the Lord by the prophet saying behold a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. And of course this passage tells us that you know uh, he was conceived of a virgin so you have God dwelling with man the God man. He is the God man. Uh, he is God in the flesh. In John chapter 1, in verses 1 through, th- 1 through 3, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, without Him was not anything made that was made. Hebrews tells us that, that, he, that he, by whom also He made the worlds. See, the Son made the worlds. Verse 14 through 18 of John 1 tells us, The Word was made flesh, so it's a man, dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory of His only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of Him and cried, saying, This was He of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, before He was before me. So He is God. He's from eternity past. He was before me. And of His fullness have all we received, and grace for grace... For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son speaks of uniqueness. He's the only of His kind, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared Him, or He hath fully revealed God to man. So the word declared here in verse 18 means to unfold, to tell. One commentator described it as to, quote, lead forth into full revelation, unquote. See, Jesus Christ is the revelation or the revealing of God to man. That's who He is. And so with the completion of the New Testament, we have a complete revelation of God to us. Everything we need to know from A to Z about Him, we have in the Scriptures, in the Old and New Testament. In fact, the last book of the Bible, 
tells us this very plainly in, in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified by his angel unto his servant John. And then in chapter 22, the last chapter, the last couple of verses, verse 18 and 19, he says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. So we're not to add and we're not to take away from this revelation of God to us. That's a very serious warning. It tells us that we have a complete revelation. God has spoken. When it says has spoken, it speaks of a completed action. It's aorist tense in the Greek. Tell me it's aorist tense, which means a completed action. Don't ask me to explain all that to you. But hath is past tense. So it's a completed action. We have a complete revelation of God. And this, of course, is a revealing of God's salvation to us. If you notice in verse 3, he's who, of course speaking of the Son, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now there's a lot of stuff in that verse. A lot of doctrine. A lot of teaching. And I'm going to give you some things from this verse here about the revealing of God's salvation to us. First of all, he perfectly reflects the majesty of God, who being the brightness of his glory. The brightness of his glory. The brightness there speaks of majesty, supreme greatness or sovereignty. You know, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter uh, I believe it was chapter 4, when he was baptized, there was a voice from heaven, and a dove lighted upon him, and there was this voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In John chapter 2, very early in his earthly ministry, his mother said unto him at a wedding, They have no wine. Now why would she say that to him? Was there something about him that was different from everyone else? Yeah, there was. And she understood that. She understood that this man whom she bore as a baby in her womb and gave birth to was not just a man. There was something great and sovereign about him. And, of course, we know that he turned water into wine or grape juice. And soon after that, he took a whip and cleansed the temple, drove out the money changers, and them that sold, and said, Take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Now, did you ever wonder why they allowed him to do that? I mean, the priests? You know, when King Uzziah tried to enter into the Holy of Holies, the priests withstood him. And rightly so. 
But here's Jesus. He takes a whip and drives them all out. See, there's something sovereign about this man. <clears throat> He's not governed by man-made rules. In John 4, he speaks to a Samaritan woman whom a Jew is not supposed to talk to. But he speaks to this Samaritan woman and tells her that he is the water of life. In John 5, he heals the impotent man. In verse 27, he says, The Father hath given him authority to execute judgment also. In John 6, he feeds 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. And then says in verse 51, I am the living bread. In John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. And in John 8, 58, he said, I am. And they understood what he meant because they all took up stones to stone him. He said, I am God. I am the all-sufficient one. I am Jehovah. You see, he perfectly reflected. Of course, we know that he was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17. And his face was the light of the sun, bright as the sun. He revealed the character of God. He also revealed the character of God. And if you notice in verse 3 again, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. The express image speaks of character. It's defined as the exact expression of any person or thing, the, a marked likeness, a per, precise reproduction in every respect. And in John, again in John's Gospel, you know, John presents Jesus as the Son of God. That's his emphasis. And in John... Chapter 12, verses 45 through 50, the Bible says this, And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. Of course, Jesus is saying that. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. In John 14, verses 7 through 11, he says to his disciples, If ye had known me, should have known my Father also. From henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. You see, he manifested or revealed to us the very character of God. He was the expression of God. 
John 8, 46, he says to his enemies, which of you convinces me of sin? And they were mute. They had nothing to say. Now, if you and I said that, we'd be in trouble. But see, the Lord said, honestly, which of you convinces me of sin? You show me where I have sinned. You know, it demonstrates the purity of God. You know, it's amazing that God can dwell in a body of flesh and not sin. Wow, what is that like? I don't know. Because I can't do it. You and I can't do it. But Jesus did. You know, because of his salvation, we who are saved are going to find out one day. Of course, we're going to put off this old body of flesh. You know, even as enemies spoke of his character, in Matthew twenty-two sixteen, it says, And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, this is the Pharisees, with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of man. In other words, we know you don't have any respect for persons. We don't show, you don't show any respect to persons. Everybody is equal. You're fair to everyone. He's the fairest, Lord Jesus. And we know you are true. What you say is true. Of course, in Matthew 17, he was transfigured. His face did shine. His raiment white as light. You know, he revealed the mercy of God. He healed the sick, made the lame to walk, the sight the sight to the blind, raised the dead. He revealed the power of God. He fed the multitudes, calmed the seas, cast out devils. He's the preserver of the universe. Verse 3 says, He upholdeth all things by the word of His power. Psalm 33, verses 6 through 9 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of His mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as a heap. You wonder why the, the seas don't flood all the land? It's because God put boundaries around them. He layeth up the depth in storehouses, let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the habitations of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. One commentator said this, quote, Using the properties of light as an illustration. We may say that God spake in a spectrum or array of light waves in the Old Testament. You know, different light waves. Jesus is the prism that collected all those bands of light and focused them into one pure beam. Thereby giving us an understanding of the Godhead. Revealing to us the person of God. And so he is. He is the brightness, the express image. He is also, he is the complete salvation of God. Notice verse 3 again. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins. Now, every word in that statement is vitally important. And almost every modern version of the Bible will corrupt it. They'll take take out himself, and they'll take out our. 
What does that give you opportunity for? He had help. Or maybe he had some sin of his own. Some people do believe that. Now, God's words are important. No, he had by himself purged our sins. He purged our sins by himself. Matthew 121, it was already read, She shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us. For God made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Jesus didn't know any sin. He never sinned. Who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, this makes Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. He's the beginning and the ending of our faith. He by himself purged. That means he cleansed, he purified. Hebrews 12, 2 speaks of the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You know, those who believe that what they do helps keep them saved need to take heed to this truth. We are not saved by works, and we are not kept by works. He is our salvation from beginning to end. He is the completion of it. See, to consider such nonsense is to say that Christ's sacrifice for sin was not sufficient for all of my sin. Peter and John told the Pharisees in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You know, in John 10, 9, he said, I am the door. By me. That's a very exclusive statement. That's a very dogmatic statement. By me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. By me. I am the door. By me. John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And he proved it by raising Lazarus from the dead. I am. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 1 Timothy 2, 5 says, There is one God and one mere between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He purged our sins by himself. Secondly, he finished the work. He finished the work. Notice again verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. When he had purged our sins, he sat down. Now again, this speaks of a completed action. This signifies a finished Work. There is no more that can be done 
for the salvation of souls. Nothing. It's all done. You know, the Old Testament priest's work was never done. He never sat down. <clears throat> Every year. You know, the, the Old Testament priest could never sit down and say, well, I'm all done now. I'm all done now. Now, he might say that at the end of the day, but tomorrow he has to get up and do the same thing. Offer those lambs, those bullocks. Every year he has to take blood into the Holy of Holies. The blood of animals that can never take away sin. And so they come continually. But not this man. Not this man. You see, he finished the work. He sat down. Hebrews 7, 24 and 25 says, But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. See, his work was complete. It was all done. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And... Verse 15, it says, Who is the image, speaking of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, so there's the image again, the firstborn of every creature, the firstborn speaks of an elder brother, the one with the birthright, the one who is the priest of the family, he's the chief ruler, he's the head, he's the preeminent one. And that's our Lord Jesus. He's the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. So he made all things, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. That means they cohere or hold together. What keeps the earth together and the world, the universe together, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the head of the body. Verse 18, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. There's that word firstborn again. Firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And here's an important statement. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Now look at chapter 2 and verse 9 and 10. For in him, that is in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You see, everything that we have, everything that we can know about God is revealed to us through his Son. Through him, God displayed the fullness of himself, the whole Godhead. The whole Godhead. And we are complete in Him. Our salvation is complete in Him. There's no other work to be done for the saving of our souls. It all rests upon Him and what He did on the cross of Calvary for us. See, He sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. He obtained... He also obtained inheritance. Verse 4. 
being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. You know, many people are wowed by angels. They just think there's something great, something special about angels. They're ministering spirits, the heirs of salvation. That's us. And the Bible says here that he hath obtained a more excellent name than they. And we're going to look on in this passage in chapter 1. He's much better than the angels. In fact, the angels desire to look into what you and I have. The salvation we have, 1 Peter 1.12 tells us. They desire to look into this inheritance. They don't have it. And the glory of Christ. See, when we come to Christ through repentance and faith, we're not only purged from our sins, we share in the cross and the sufficiency of His shed blood for the mission of sin, but we also become partakers of His glory. Of His glory. Look at, he, look at a couple of passages of Scripture. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. You know, we, 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 you know everybody knows well Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But not too many people are familiar with verses 4 through 7. Ephesians 2, 4. God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You know, a preacher friend of mine used to say, you can't kill me, my head's in heaven. God has raised us up and made us sit together in heavenly places. We are sharing in His inheritance, in His glory. Look at 1 Peter, chapter 1. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 2 through 5. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's our salvation experience right there in verse 2. Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then look at Revelation chapter 1. Verses 4 through 6. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, that's of course Christ, from the seven spirits which are before his throne, from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins of his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God. And his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And Revelation 20, verse 6 tells us, We shall reign with him a thousand years.
You see, he hath obtained an inheritance, and you and I, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, are going to share in that inheritance. See, that's what he accomplished when he by himself purged our sins and sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. One commentator said this, quote, The whole work is accomplished and so perfectly done that he can take his own place again. And with the blessed difference that he goes back as a man, which he never before was, never was before. This shows that the righteousness wrought out was so perfect and divine that though he has taken our sins, he could sat down on the throne of God and not soil it. He had a right, of course, on the ground of his divine person. But there is more than that here. Christ seated on the throne of heaven means that we are actually brought in a supernatural power which the Holy Spirit supplies into God's holy presence. And we live there daily. The same share we have in Jesus on the cross, we have in Him on the throne. He goes on, he says, when we are ready to sacrifice the earthly life for the heavenly and follow Him fully in His separation of the world and surrender to God's will, He in heaven will prove in us the reality and the power of His heavenly priesthood. You know, we may not live in His sight, but we do live in His presence. You know, Matthew tells us that where two or three are assembled together, there I am in the midst. Ephesians 1 tells us that we have, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, which is the Holy Spirit of promise, whereby we are sealed on the day of redemption. In other words, we live in His presence daily. The problem is, do we stop and consider it? daily. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. He's made like unto us. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make in reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself suffered being tempted he is able to succor or come to aid them that are tempted then again in chapter 4 in verses 14 through 16 seeing then we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our profession for we cannot we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, the Lord wants you to give Him your life so He may lead you in paths of living waters. 
He wants you to give Him your life so that He can carry you through the floods. That He can go with you through the fiery trials that shall try you. You see, He's not just a Savior. He is so much more. You know, we make much of the Savior. We need to learn to make much of our high priest. The one who accomplished for us what we could not do, pay for our own sin. The one who sits on the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Hebrews 7 says, He ever liveth to make intercession for us. You see, this is the great revelation of the salvation of God to us. He wants to be more than just your Savior. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be the one to whom you come to in time of need. You know, is He your Lord and Savior? Is He your interceder? The one to whom you go for help? Or is He like so many? We see the bumper stickers that says, God is my co-pilot. And God doesn't want to be your co-pilot. He wants to be your pilot. Are you availing yourself of the fullness of God through Christ, our great high priest?